Totally Football Show. Today, League Cup. We sort the Caraboos from the Carabao Wows. Spurs, Saints, Colchester, Chelsea. There's big midweek news from the continent with another KO for Leo. And of course, our big weekend Premier League preview. It's Man United Arsenal again. The Gunners, fresh from the biggest defeat of Forest since Bolsonaro. Will they put Old Trafford to the torch? It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. On board for you today, we've got Michael Cox, who's in for a sick Daniel story, and also long-haired Eurocentric James Horncastle. They'll be with us shortly. But here right now, the man from up to Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Hi, Duncan. And Nick Miller as well. Hello, James. Hello, Nick. Great news. If you weren't, listener, across Tuesday and Wednesday's drama in the League Cup... Don't worry, because Nick was, and you're here to round it all up for us, Nick. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Early question, then. This is from Hugh McCarthy. Hello, Hugh. Game per game, is the League Cup more entertaining and interesting than the Champions League? Boom. Uh, no. No, I don't think so. We, we kind of have this, this discussion every most years about whether it's more entertaining than the FA Cup. After a season, like well, last season, in the, the season we had in the Champions League, yeah, I don't think you can really say that it's... Failed floodlights... Penalty shootouts, League Two winners over Premier League sides. Crazy. A man hitting a horse. Does feel, I always feel round three of the League Cup does feel like the official start of autumn. I know meteorologists disagree. They've got their own methods. But it does. It's, you know, it's actually got dark before the games kick off. Right. It feels There's normally some sort of a few... Well, I was going to say sort of giant killings, but it's not, is it? Because you get a weird scenario where the big teams play reserves. And, yes. You know, this is going to be the first time ever that round four's got no championship teams in it, which is quite indicative of how they've sort of given up on the League Cup. That is interesting. Speaking of giving up on the League Cup, I don't know if you saw last week, uh, the French Football Federation voted to get rid of their League Cup altogether. I mean, if you look around Europe, who does have a, a League Cup beyond their kind of Federation Cup? It's it's, it's just it's just England now. Just England, yeah. yeah. Oh no, there's, there's there's one in Portugal, I think. Is there? I think. Yeah, Portugal's still got one. Okay. Um, I saw our friend Rory Smith actually saying that a lot of people saying it was you know modern football's killing the League Cup, but obviously the League Cup was basically brought in to you know allow clubs to use their floodlights that they installed in the right. in the early sixties and late fifties. So you would know. you miss it, Duncan? Do you think autumn would happen all the same? I think they should maybe do it like some countries do or used to, where they kind of compress it into smaller periods. And so maybe if you had it all... Like Greenland, have it in a week. Yeah, maybe have it as a... They, they experimented with having the first round before the league season started um, for a bit, which didn't seem to capture anyone's imagination. But, I mean... Because you watch anything before the league season begins. Well, I wouldn't, but some people did. Yeah. But not enough people. Not enough people. Interesting. Nick, what about you? Would you miss it? Yeah, well, I, I have a, quite a lot of affection for the League Cup because it was the thing that Forest, my team, Forest won when right. I was first going to see them, and I, you know, went, we went to Wembley three times in four years or something like that. Brilliant. When I, but that is now almost thirty years ago. Those so. days are gone, Nick. As you discovered this week, because let's hear what happened around the grounds in the League Cup third round. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, Nick, let's start at the Emirates, where you went because Forrest were playing there. How did that work out for you? Uh, really badly, really badly. I mean, it, it was, a, you know, Arsenal might as well have been playing 11 traffic cones. Um, oh, really? Forrest were, I mean, Forrest were kind of there in 
body but not really in spirit didn't play a striker played um Ari Murich, the the uh, Manchester City goalkeeper uh, who we have on loan who it seems to be absolutely rubbish I don't really understand why Manchester City have kept him on the basis that uh, on the evidence we've seen for Forest so far um, Arsenal though five unanswered goals and not just that to delight their fans but also the return of Hector Bellerin Rob Holding and Kieran Turney plus Callum Chambers doing sexy volley crosses yeah I mean they they, they looked very good it was, it was quite difficult to tell how good they actually were given the, the uh, opposition right okay yeah. Arsenal in the fourth round will be facing Liverpool who had a 2-0 winner MK Dons Youngster Key Jana Hoover very much cleaned up in that game. <laughs> Hoover bagged, as someone yep. pointed out. Yep, that's very right. Good. You, I think you pointed out, Duncan, that he doesn't suck. Hoover doesn't suck, yeah. Brilliant. All right, well, that, that, that's nice. And Man United. Because his name oh. sounds like Hoover. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Mm, yeah, so. certainly works for me. Uh, Man United, of course, are Arsenal's opponents before any of that on the, this Monday night. And they had a bit of a scare, didn't they, Nick, against League One Rochdale? An actual child scored against them, uh, 16-year-old Luke Matheson, who got his GCSE results a few weeks ago. Very good GCSE results. Apparently. Right. So he's got a, clearly got a big future ahead of him. He's back um, at school this morning. I believe so, oh, yeah. yeah. That's what he said, doctor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he had, he had the day off yesterday, and so he's, he's back in today. To I think all, aren't all young players contractually obliged to say... If they do something noteworthy, that oh tomorrow I've got a test or tomorrow I've you know, I actually think yeah he did say he had a, some kind of test, some kind of psychology test. test. Yeah, is he in an, is he, he's in a regular school? He's not in some kind of academy classes. Or I think so. Yeah. Can you imagine what that'd be like walking into class after you've been on telly and scored uh, the equaliser after Mason Greenwood's opener at Old Trafford against Man United? Who I, I know these days not quite what they were, but still that's ridiculous. And then you go to school. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if this tell, says more about my school days. Than anything else but I would be terrified of a bigger boy hitting me just to kind of try and prove a point you know this kid's wandering in thinking he's the big man I'm going to take him down did you have a rough school time I didn't have a rough school time I was just right. a bit of a dweeb you were quite careful to keep your head down at Old Trafford though just in case it provoked uh, absolutely you. yeah right uh, I, I think he, he I mean that's got to be about a sensational uh, kind of teenage fantasy fulfilled as well actually I mean there's some <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean but you know what I mean uh, excellent well, we'll talk a bit more about Man United shortly and that whole Arsenal visiting on Monday business, but uh, four sides needed a penalty shootout. It felt like more than that somehow. Uh, the Spurs ended up on the losing side of theirs. Yeah, um, they finished finished their game against Colchester with a very strong team. Eriksen, Mora, Deli Ali, Son, Lamella were all on and they couldn't couldn't break through and then, then lost on uh, on penalties uh, to Colchester. The, the the lowest ranked team in the competition, 10th in League Two. Yeah, Colchester did win the shootout, but um, it featured an absolutely sensationally bad Penenka attempt uh, by Giovanni Brown in which uh, Paolo Gazaniga, the Spurs keeper, had time to basically punch the ball out not well, even dived, like first of all then he, he sees it gets back up <laughs> yeah he, he almost had time to get back up again punch the ball and start shouting at and start <laughs> get, telling brown off for being so impudent uh, it was sensational right but colchester goes through and they'll be taking on the other league two i think the only other league two yeah so crawley so who beat stoke on penalties it's always classic when that happens. You just feel for the commercial managers of those clubs, you know, getting through to the fourth round of the League Cup. Who, who are we going to get each other? I mean, you could, obviously one of them will get through, presumably to a massive tie right. in the uh, 
in the next round. But um, yeah, it's slightly disappointing for them, I imagine. Mm. All right. More to come on Spurs and, and, and a really despite. I think they were regarded as the big losers of the midweek action. Chelsea, meanwhile, in numerically the big winners after their 7-1 win over Grimsby. Who stood out from their fresh young team? Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi's back. Brilliant. New contract in the bag. Goal as well. Um, young midfielder Billy Gilmore in, the, in very much the season for Chelsea youngsters coming through. was another one. Um, he, was, he was very good. Um, so, yeah, job done. Excellent. Three League One teams beat Premier League opposition. Uh, Oxford, for example, who did West Ham 4-0 at the Cassam Stadium. Carl Robinson's Oxford, uh, I think, surprising a lot of their fans who were upset that they hadn't fielded a stronger team for this yeah, one. Yeah, Oxford put out the reserves, as, <laughs> as you do, and still scored more goals than they've got stands, which is always good to see. <laughs> um, it's a weird one for West Ham. Obviously, they're playing pretty well in the Premier League, but this is the third season in a row they've been knocked out of a cup competition by a League One team. Right, um, it's almost like they don't actually want to be in it. But why not? You know, but, I'm sure, I was saying to Nicola, I'm sure Swansea fans now look back on their League Cup win probably more than they would looking back on finish, finishing 14th or something. I mean, mm. just just get a trophy. West, West Ham made a few changes, but they, uh, by the end they Nine, had... Nine, in fact. Yeah, mm. by the end they had Philip Anderson, Alaire, uh, Noble, uh, Fornals. They were all on the pitch and they still got gubbed. Brilliant. Oxford will be taking on fellow League One side Sunderland in the next round. Sunderland, who put Sheffield United out and the other Premier League side to fall at the hands of League One opposition, were Bournemouth, who went down against Nigel Clough's Burton Albion. Sunderland have now beaten more Premier League teams than Newcastle this season. <laughs> what a great start. That Burton game was uh, fantastic with the uh, watching it on. T- I don't know what it was like at the stadium, but the, when, the, when the floodlights went out, it was just abso- absolute dark. Zero dark. Three times as well. And they, they, uh, apparently, which uh, a little known regulation, I mm. certainly didn't know, and I don't think Nigel Clough knew either. There has to be a delay of 30 minutes before they can call a game off. So, theoretically, the lights can keep going off and then coming back on again if it's inside 30 minutes. Strobe really? lighting. Indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, and they have they have to keep going until the, the, the game is finished. Strobe lighting obviously poses problems for some people, but it can look brilliant. Any kind of movement under strobe lighting mm. would be fantastic. I wonder what football would look like under Does strobe lighting. Does that count lighting? for the third round of the League Cup? That is the question. Is this is this your strategy to jazz up the league? No, just kind of I just, playing under strobe lighting. I've always lighting. enjoyed strobe lighting after being exposed to it in a theatrical production when I was a young boy. <laughs> do, do we want to do we want to pull at that thread? No, I mean it just and I always felt I wish there was more strobe lighting. Uh, let's move on anyway. Uh, one other game that stood out for me was the first proper South Coast derby for seven years. Much written about how bitter and deep the resentment is between. Portsmouth and Southampton. So Southampton arriving at Fratton Park and doing Pompey 4-0 uh, presumably was pretty big as results go. Yeah, I think it was relatively uh, relatively routine after all the kind of the, the hype up before it. I think there were some minor ugly scenes afterwards. Mm. A man took a swing at a horse. He did, didn't he? Uh, I don't think, did he hit the horse or did he just, just have a swing? I'm not sure. I think it. I think he got arrested for punching the horse in the face, and you know the motivation, the, the dynamic behind that. I'd be curious to know, but yeah, the horses have faces. I mean, they do have a face. Yeah, but what is a the, face. It's not. It's not a muzzle. The visage. It's not the, a muzzle. It's a. Okay. What is the long bit on a horse? It, I would so call it a face. It's a head. A horse's head, perhaps. Hmm. Uh, Portsmouth fourth from bottom in League One. That's Southampton's first win there in. 35 years 
Wow. Oh, as a reward for going through, Southampton have drawn Man City, who had a kind of uh, fairly uh, modest 3-0 win at Preston. Was it at Preston? It was at Preston, yeah. A bit like Nick was saying earlier, how Nottingham Forest kind of really liked the League Cup in the 80s. Hmm. Man City really take it quite seriously. They've obviously won it the last two years. And, I mean, Guardiola just plays strong teams over their playing. Burton found out to their cost last year but um, yeah just cruise through and wouldn't really put it past them winning it again indeed not the winner by the way of next year's Carabao Cup will be entitled to a place in the brand new Nick Europa Conference League when that gets going in 2021 what a name what a name that is exciting alright that's brilliant big weekend preview next starting off with Man United Arsenal Premier League round 7 and we're joined listener you, me and Duncan by Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. Thanks for coming in on this uh, rainy Thursday morning. Let's brighten the mood a little bit with a big look forward to Man United Arsenal. <laughs> How much history between these two? Pizzagate, the 8-2, selling them Alexis Sanchez. These two teams have been trading <laughs> vicious blows for years now. But what's going to happen when Ollie's feeble Man U and an Arsenal D that shouldn't be allowed out without adult supervision meet on Monday? What do you think, Michael? I think Arsenal in slightly better shape. They've had three wins on the bounce, different types of victories. I think the 5-0 League Cup win against Nottingham Forest in midweek is a big uh, boost for them because it's all Bellerin coming back, Tierney making his debut, Rob Holding starting and getting a goal. Um, and also Callum Chambers looking quite good. And obviously, you know, defensively, Arsenal have looked pretty shambolic. And with Ainsley Maitland-Niles out, suspended and injured, I think. Right. Um, they've got options at right back now. Andrew Lang saying how solid the back line is. Bellerin Chambers holding Tierney. Are Arsenal fans right now to be optimistic? Well, I think with defenders, it's all about the understanding and the organisation between them. So I don't think you can really judge them individually. Um, I mean, it's not like holding a Bellerin have, have played in Arsenal defences that have been particularly secure over the last couple of years. So, But it is good to have them back. I mean, Bellerin getting an assist after 58 seconds is, is pretty cool, which is good. Um, but, I mean, I think the thing about this game that is quite telling is that it's a European week um, and they're playing Man United Arsenal on Monday night, wow. which shows how far that mm. fixture has fallen down the... Uh, down the rankings um, and I remember a certain Michael Cox uh, start the season saying on a podcast that Manchester United's 4-0 win against Chelsea was the, the most unimpressive 4-0 he'd seen for a long time and, and so it's proven really I mean but, well since then they've, they've received Crystal Palace visitors from the capital and lost to them so even with Lacazette still out how do you feel about Arsenal's chances of getting their first what would be their first win at Old Trafford since 2006 yeah, I mean, obviously they haven't won that many games at Old Trafford, but the ones they, they have won have tended to be quite memorable, you know, title kind of winning uh, games. Um, not in 2006, obviously. But, um, yeah, I think this could be another one. I mean, you imagine if they won this game comfortably, then Solskjaer could be on shaky ground. Um, two, two wins in his last 12 Premier League performances. Daniel Story pointing out that since April... His United team have failed to score more than one goal in 90 minutes against Huddersfield, Cardiff, Wolves, Crystal Palace, Saints, West Ham, Leicester, Astana and now Rochdale. I mean, a lot of that's due to the, the series of injuries they've had up front. Who will be playing up uh, uh, up top here this time? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he gives Mason Greenwood a go. He scored in midweek. Mm. It was a good goal. Um, I think particularly notable because the thing about Greenwood is he's supposedly the most two-footed player you'll see. And I think that was obvious in the way it was uh, defended. 
the defender didn't know which foot to shift him onto. Solskjaer is all about giving young players a chance and saying that's a big part of United's tradition. So I wouldn't be surprised if he threw him in here. Okay. I think I'm right in saying Marcus Rashford's full league debut was against Arsenal, wasn't mm. it, when he scored two goals? So yeah. maybe a similar kind of thing. There, there is some talk that Martial could be back. Pogba featured uh, midweek against Rochdale. The, the, the thing that all those teams I mentioned, Huddersfield, Astana, Leicester, Rochdale, etc., uh, that unites them is the fact that none of them has David Luiz on their books. How much of a factor do you think he could be in this game, Duncan? Well, he's already conceded two penalties in five games for, uh, for Arsenal and he only conceded three in over 100 for, for Chelsea. But I think... You know, if he's just got to cope with Greenwood, I mean, Greenwood is good, as Michael said, but I think that even the Arsenal defence can, can handle them. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. English manager of the year three times, special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Part two, everybody, and we're joined by James Horncastle. A wet James Horncastle. Well, those are the conditions, James. They are indeed. I wasn't prepared. I see. Uh, big losers midweek mm? are Spurs, or at least that's what I read. They'll be taking on Saints, who had that win in the derby down south, Saturday afternoon. It has been a rotten week for Spurs. Wednesday, last Wednesday, they, they blew that 2-0 lead to Olympiacos in the Champions League. Saturday, they blew a 1-0 lead against Leicester in the Premier League. Tuesday, they get knocked out of the League Cup by the lowest-ranked team in the competition. Chilled on Sunday, one would hope. <laughs> but now, but now Saints... This League Cup thing, are people getting overworked up over the exit against Colchester? Was it a convenient exit? Or is this the kind of cup that Pochettino should be focusing on? It's not a priority um, for them. I think you can forgive players for thinking that way as well. I think most Spurs fans I saw were, you know, accepted that. They said, James, basically, you know, it doesn't really matter. We've gone out of the League Cup, but it's more the manner that they did it. You know, it was a particularly strong team, as we said earlier, and um, and they just look a little bit um, lost at the moment. And Pochettino particularly looks a bit sort of morose about everything. And um, do you remember the translator he had when he first came to the Premier League? In, oh, yeah. You know, like in Breaking Bad, how at the start, Walter White's okay, but by the end, it's got very dark. It feels a little bit like Pochettino's gone on a football. You know, the, the translator era was all kind of like happy, and now it, we're into the sort of I mean, season six, and it's pretty bleak. All right, can we have a word about Deli Alley, Michael? I, I know we've we've mentioned this before, but he, he particularly failed to impress midweek in the League Cup, which is after all where he made his name, no? that MK Don's performance against Man United back in the Van the Van Hal days. What what has happened to him? Is it a tactical change? Is it is it injury throwing his his mental game or what? I think there's maybe a, a case that he's a bit burned out after playing a lot of football very quickly in his Premier League career. I think there's sometimes a question about what what he really contributes to the side if he's not scoring goals as well. I mean, his first two seasons in, in terms of goal-scoring numbers for a midfield player were exceptional. Mm. But I don't think he's overwhelmingly creative. And I think there's a question about where he plays. I actually quite like it when he plays a lot deeper. He, You know, he's quite combative. He gets stuck in. I think he uses the ball quite well. But when he's actually played as a number 10, I don't think he influences the game probably as much as Spurs need. What do you think his best position is? That's the funny thing. I think he's almost better as, A, a second striker 
or be quite deep in midfield. And so you think, well, if he can do both, the natural position is somewhere in between. But when he does play in between, I think the game kind of passes him by. I kind of think since Son has been on this mm. incredible rise, it's come at the expense of, of Ali because I think um, that role in second striker, or I used to think he played quite well when they played three at the back, which mm. they don't seem to do all that much anymore. But Son's rise seems to, you can't really not, unless it's rotation, you can't really not play Son, I think. And also the one spell of creativity he did have in the Premier League, he kind of had that season where he created a lot of goals for Harry Kane, but Harry Kane was playing in a different role then, very yeah. much a kind of, he was a number nine, and now he's dropping deep as well, and basically other players have sort of, you know, moved into Ali's space, and he hasn't really pushed on. With Pochettino talking after the Colchester defeat about different agendas in the squad... And Bayern coming up on Tuesday. How close are Spurs to a real, genuine crisis? Well, I think um, Pochettino's way of handling the team this year has been questioned in terms of there's been a lot of talk about how before it was all about the collective and how they they played as a team rather than individuals. And now individuals are getting kind of told, you know, we want this from you, we want that from you. And it's kind of, I wouldn't say fractured, um, the the environment at the at their training ground, but there is this, this his man management has been questioned in a way I don't think it has has been before. I think that's in some respects it's quite natural when this team has been together for a long long time mm. um, and they're comfortable around each other, um, comfortable not being casual, but comfortable around each other where they can they feel they can say what what is on their mind and and question things and. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a problem when um, you look at the, the new signings that they've brought in and they've either um, got injured or haven't been integrated or as quickly as, as many people anticipated that. It is more of the same and it's hard to hard to keep things fresh. All um, right. Can Saints turn them over then? I'm not so sure about that. Not so sure about that, Michael. I haven't quite got a grip on Southampton this no. season. Sometimes they look excellent. And I think mm. Hassan Hoot was a, a really good manager. They've got some very exciting attacking players and made a couple of good signings. But then sometimes they just seem to have games where nothing clicks. I, I really don't know what will happen in this game. Sorry. Excellent. Well, that's such a nice thing, you know, to approach <laughs> yeah. a football game with that, that open-mindedness. Brilliant. League leaders Liverpool. Maybe you've got a clue about what will happen when they make the trip to Bramall Lane, which is the, the fixture which kicks off the Premier League weekend. Of course, Sheffield United have just done one Merseyside Can they outfit. conquer Merseyside? Can that? they? Can yeah. they do the Merseyside double in a manner of speaking? What do you think? I think Liverpool will be quite comfortable here. Uh, Sheffield United been really impressed by them, um, particularly, obviously, tactically innovative. They've mm. got a couple of really good passes in midfield, but I just think the speed of the front three for Liverpool will be too much for Sheffield United. Do you think Sheffield United are going to rein in those overlap, overlapping centre-halves, etc.? I, I think they will, and I think they have more than people think. There's been certain halves this season where they need to keep it tight, and they have done. But if they do go forward, the way Mane and Salah play... They won't trap back. They'll just stay in counter-attacking positions. So I think it would be extremely risky to... to I'd love it if out. they don't. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, we've seen Norwich take on uh, Man City at their own game to an extent. And yeah, who knows what Sheffield United might come away with. Uh, Newcastle caught Liverpool rather cold, of course, the last time they played in the early Saturday kickoff. So th- th- there are questions there. And Liverpool will have one eye on Tuesday's Champions League game against RB or Red Bull Salzburg. A big match this, of course, for the Lundstrom family, as you were hinting the other day, because uh, John Lundstrom, of course, uh, lighting up the Premier League with his uh, marauding defensive tactics and uh, his sister previously featuring in that Merseyside reality show, James, 
called Desperate Scousewives. Yeah, I, I never really got in on the, um, the, the Housewives of New York or right. anything like that. Um, which is a shame because I've seen a lot of GIFs that I think I could use in WhatsApp conversations which right. refer, reference to that. I just, I just don't have any kind you of... You lack the vocabulary. To, yeah. Yeah, I see. It's a so, real tragedy. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another game, to be fair, which I, I think could prove fascinating. And I, 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 for one, look forward to seeing good news is we don't have long to wait because 12.30 Saturday, boom. It's a little bit longer if you're keen to see how Everton, who've just got done by Sheffield United, fare in their game against... Manchester City, ay, 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 ay. Everton, who did get a win, a much-needed win for Marco Silva midweek uh, when they beat uh, Sheffield Wednesday 2-0 in a measure of revenge against that Yorkshire town. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. <laughs> that's, that's, I think, how it works. No. We're going to go to Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to wreak our revenge. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin got the double there. But uh, do you fear for, for Everton against Man City? Yes, but also this is the sort of game that Everton uh, could very well come. But I mean, they beat City four 0 which probably that was back in yeah. But it was that Pep was like twenty January seventeen. Yeah, it was in the past. But Pep, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was probably Pep Guardiola's worst performance or a team of his worst performance in the Premier League um, until Carrow Road, or but or worse uh, until the other day's press conference. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would argue it was worse than Carrow Road. Worse than Carrow yeah, I mean, Road. you could argue that Everton are a bigger club and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I think You could also argue that it was in the past and the scorers that day, Lukaku, Kevin Morales, Adamola Lukman and Tom Davis, are almost all now absent from this fixture. Tom Davis the only one and he's unlikely to feature. The manager as well was Ronald Koeman, not um, Marco Silva. So many Silvers in all, this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. These are all true points, but I still think that Everton could spring a surprise also from my true fact fact file mm. Everton have conceded at least twice in their last five Premier League games yeah and City have scored more goals after six games than any team since Wolves in the 1950s really so yeah it does point to a, an easy win for City but you know it's, it's a the funny Premier old League. game and it's the Premier League it's and etc okay does anybody else want to throw anything on that well, Everton's defensive stats are strange because they started the season with two clean sheets mm. in the back end of last season. People mentioned their good defensive record, but that never quite tallied with what you saw on the pitch where the gaps between defenders were quite big. And Michael Keane, I've never been particularly convinced by. I think he leaves a lot of space in behind Moisey him. Keane. Yeah? What about Moisey Keane as yeah. well? well that's Still a... waiting for him to announce himself in, in the Premier League. What, what's going on with Moisey Keane, would you say? Uh, well, I think he's only made two starts so far. Um, and... He's a teenager. I think he's adapting to, to a new country, a new club. With him, it's one thing, breaking into the Juventus side, which is you know, very impressive from a young player, but you are surrounded by better players than he is at Goodison at the moment. Also, just watching him so far, I don't think he's had very many clear-cut chances. And if you look at um, the ones that he has had, um, you can tell he, he's trying to score a worldie. Um, where the ball will bounce across him outside the box and he'll he'll go and try to smash a half volley into the top corner and ends up hitting it into row Z. So it just hasn't really happened for him um, so far. But with Calvert-Lewin scoring in a week, again, that gives Silva a decision to make as to whether he persists with him or not. To anyone wondering if Moise Kane really is all that based mm. on what they've seen, what would you say, James? He made a kind of instant impact um, in Serie A, you know, as a 16-year-old. You know, he's already played Champions League, he scored in Champions League, scored in Serie A, and he, even amid all the competition that he had at Juventus um, with Ronaldo, Dybala, Mandzukic, you know, from the spring of 
spring of uh, last season, he it made it very difficult for Allegri not to pick him. Also, his impact for the national team, right. the, the senior national team under Mancini. Um, uh, it was centre forward position has been uh, a hard one to uh, to pin down for, for for Italy for a few years, and he is seen as very much the the answer to that. Um, but I think he's had a bit of a rough summer in that um, I'm not entirely sure whether he expected to leave Juventus. The Euro under-21s, he was late for training one day with Nicola Zaniolo and was punished and left out. And he would, that was the reason why he's left out the senior squad for the last international break. And the way things are going, it doesn't look like he'll be in the senior squad for the next one as well mm. um, because of um, limited game time he's played and limited impact he's made at Everton so far. But I think he's a very... Um, big talent and I think it still remains quite a coup that Everton were the, were the team to come in and get him Listeners hands up if you're coming to our live show at the South Bank this coming Monday night excellent or oh, that's a shame depending on you know <laughs> I, I can't actually see what you're doing but if the prospect of seeing me producer Ben Duncan James and Julian Laurence in the flesh wasn't exciting enough I can also tell you that we're going to be giving away Monday night an amazing prize courtesy of our friends at Now TV. The best or funniest question of the night will win a Now TV smart stick with eight months of Sky Sports on it. So you can watch all the action in the Premier League until the end of the season. And that's not all. We're also putting up for grabs a pair of tickets to the Emirates to see Arsenal Bournemouth on Sunday the 6th of October, the big one. Woof. If you're not part of the Metropolitan Elite in London or you haven't managed to get yourself one of the last few tickets to see us this Monday at the South Bank, don't despair because we'll be running a competition on our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash now TV, where you can also win one of those smart sticks from now TV with eight months of Sky Sports and equally two tickets to that Gunners Cherries match. Uh, head to thetotallyfootballshow.com slash now TV for more. Looking forward to that, Duncan, James. Naturally. Brilliant. Uh, also looking forward to seeing Watford Wolves Saturday at 3 o'clock. Actually, the winless derby. The winless derby. Yeah. The two teams that begin with W but have no Ws. <laughs> nice. Yeah, although actually they both did get wins, I'm doing my fingers here, in the League Cup midweek. Watford an actual victory, 2-1 at home to Swansea. Oh, Danny Welbeck on the score sheet in that, interestingly enough. Wolves beating Reading on, on penalties. Getting through on penalties, I think. Getting through on penalties, fair. So that's exciting about Danny Welbeck, another W, uh, kind of getting his name back on the scene. Hornets, of course, needing a boost after being really visibly broken last week by that 8-0 humiliation at the hands of Man City. Duncan, and you've crunched the numbers on teams how they perform after that kind of defeat what, what, what can we expect do you think from Watford yeah so there's been 34 occasions in Premier League history where a team um, <laughs> conceded seven or more goals right. in a game right. in the next match yeah. their record is 1-15 yes. drawn four right. lost 15 so it's probably more even than okay. you might think so you might think that these teams are all in dreadful form and are going to go on to lose the next game the caveat to that is obviously most of those defeats would have been away from home ah. so they're generally going to be at home in the next match. The only team to ever um, avoid a defeat away from home after a massive defeat were Aston Villa in 2010. They lost 7-1 away at Chelsea and then the following game they were also away. Um, they went to Owen Coyle, uh, Michael's friend, uh, Bolton in the Barclays Premier League and won that game. So, right. What's Owen Coyle doing now? He's punditing, I think. Mm. 
Producer Ben says he's heard him on, on Five Live. That's yeah. interesting. Wh- which category, which half of that record do you think Watford are going to fall into? I think Watford will fall into the React quite well. Oh, you do? The, some of their numbers this season are, are better than their league position suggests. You know, they've, got, they've had the fourth most shots in the Premier League. Their XG is pretty good. Um, and I think, obviously, particularly with Wolves once again in Europe in midweek, right. uh, I think that Watford are going to do what they did the the Arsenal performance more than the City performance. I see. I see. That one of their problems has been a lack of a proven goal scorer with Troy Deeney's injury. Do you see Danny Welbeck making a, a a big impact there? His return. I'm a little bit unconvinced, really. Are you, I'd, Michael? Yeah, I'd like to see. I really like Welbeck. I'd like to see him do well. But as I've said before, I, I really like Dale Feu and Gray together. They were so good against West Ham. And like Duncan says, the XG numbers have been good. The shots numbers have been good. Conversion rate. Conversion rate, granted, has been has been poor, but the lesson from XG is you generally, get, you know, generally gets towards the level it should be. The finishing is, it seems, is slightly overrated by pundits as a as a right. skill. Do you think? Well, that's what the numbers say, right? Like yeah. you get yourself into the positions often enough, and eventually it will happen. It will happen. It's good news, <laughs> isn't it? Watford Canicles draw inspiration from uh, their incredible. Game against Wolves at the tail end of last season in the FA Cup semi-finals. They were 2-0 down with uh, 11 minutes to go and ended up winning 3-2 after Gerard De Olefeo tore Wolves apart. Came off the bench, scored two goals, and then it was Troy Deeney who got the, the winner to set up <laughs> that previous, previous meeting with Man City, of course, which you know went at how it went. But yeah, something there. Yeah, I really like Daily Fair. I was watching him closely a couple of times uh, this season, particularly against Arsenal. And he's a really peculiar player, and I was trying to work out why. And I think I've worked out why. It's because you won't find another player who makes such unusual movements to get into space. But then when he gets the ball, just forgets about the concept of space. So he'll, he'll drift 20 yards to the flank away from the ball to receive it. Mm. But then when he gets it, we'll just happily have defenders crowd around him. It's a really peculiar approach, mm. but I do like watching him. Mm. That's interesting because he it's has quick. quite a high number of dribbles, which is essentially the people you take on. And that's possibly because, you know, every time he does actually get the ball, he's then just running into crowded I, I think he likes that, though. I think he's a player who, who, who derives his, enjo- his enjoyment, his passion for the game from beating, beating, beating a man. Mm. Mm. Tight. Don't we all? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, with him, Welbeck, Gray, it's it's an exciting, exciting Watford lineup potentially. Uh, Wolves, in the meantime, I read that their owner is also the largest shareholder in Thomas Cook. Yeah, and is facing a one billion loss. I'm not sure what billion what is it. It's pounds, pounds. apparently. So that's big. Yeah, I think even for... I think you know, even dollars or euros. <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously not, you know, going to help things. Uh, right. Exciting game, that one. Uh, taking place simultaneously, uh, West Ham, who were humbled and humiliated by Oxford United midweek, will be travelling to Bournemouth in what is, statistics suggest, a meeting between fifth and sixth right now in the Premier League. How about that? Yeah, West Ham obviously let in five on the opening day. They're mm. actually on the second longest unbeaten run in the Premier League. At the is moment, that right? Which is a weird one, especially given midweek as well. Um, Bournemouth similarly are doing their thing of racking up loads of points before the clocks go back and then <laughs> hanging on. Um, Why do you think that is? Because it gets dark. And I think it gets dark slightly earlier on the south coast, so I think it affects them very much so. Uh, Duncan, I loved your uh, stat about West Ham's defensive record this season midweek. 
Yeah, they've um, 64% of the goals they've let in this season have been to either Raheem Sterling or Oxford United. That's remarkable. The big two. Neither of whom will be on the field uh, in this clash. So that should help them. But if Bournemouth win it with their third win in a row, which they very rarely do, they're quite good at sort of winning two in a row and then losing. So these are two of probably the most unpredictable teams in the Premier League, both having pretty good starts. Should be a reasonably good game, but almost impossible to call. All right, well, we'll we'll wait to see what happens then and then uh, address that on Monday. Leicester, meantime, are taking on Newcastle. Duncan, again, was thrilled by your <laughs> stats about Newcastle's average possession, uh, which, it what was it against? I mean, it works for them. They had that, was it 20? It was 18% or something against Spurs, and they still had the victory. How do, how do they compare to the Premier League's all-time greatest, people like Cardiff? Well, Cardiff, <laughs> Cardiff last year had an average possession of 34%, Newcastle on an average of 33 so they're beating Ooh. them there. Touches in the opposition box. Um, Cardiff last year weren't that bad. They're 20 a game. I mean, mainly uh, Sean Morrison bundling around at corners, but still quite <laughs> a few. Newcastle are only on 16.1, which is pretty poor. Right. Um, but also, I think Cardiff at least were kind of mavericks. You know, they had a shot from kickoff last season. They... <laughs> They had like a ridiculously high XG figure in a home game, even though they had about 20% possession. So at mm. least they, they mixed up the concept of football, whereas I think Newcastle are just quite a bleak Is Warnock someone that like analytics people look up to and think, you know, sort of he's, he's breaking the game here? Yeah, he's, um, he's found a cheat, a cheat code <laughs> that he's operating. You, you call Newcastle grim, but Michael, you were saying on Monday how much you, you enjoy watching the likes of Sam Maxim. And potentially you could be seeing a heck of a story here if uh, Andy Carroll makes his uh, well his debut restart for the Magpies because it would be against the, the manager who who binned him essentially at Liverpool, Brendan Rodgers. That is good narrative. Yeah, isn't it? That angle. Can you imagine yeah. how fired up Andy Carroll's going to be? And uh, he, he says he's living he's he's living a professional lifestyle now. <laughs> with, with he's <laughs> off Bebo, is he? Yeah, he said, no, I, know, I used to go out, now I just stay at home with takeaways. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get some healthy oh, takeaways. There's a lot of very... He does, absolutely. Come on. So, but that would be amazing to see, you know. I mean, it would be pretty remarkable. The, the form book certainly suggests that Leicester are massive favourites here, but... Yeah, I, I think I think Leicester are a really good team this season. I'm not sure. I mean, Car- Carol maybe will come on and uh, battle against Suyunchu, mm-hmm. uh, which could be a good clash. But uh, yeah, I think Leicester are a good side. The funny thing about Newcastle is when you look at the stats, the pass completion rate isn't actually that bad compared to the possession, but it's just they don't have possession because they just don't win the ball, do they? They just sit really deep inside their own third. And at a time where so many teams in the Premier League, even those that have come up, are based around pressing high up the pitch, Newcastle are just the most passive team by a long way. But it, it can work. It can work. It's yeah. almost like they're coached by Steve Bruce. <laughs> They've got an XG of 4.4 this season, which is uh, 1.4 lower than Sergio Aguero has on his own. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, they could show a little bit more ambition. (laughs) (laughs) All right. They have already played each other, these two teams, Leicester and Newcastle, this season already in the League Cup. Mm. It ended 1-1. So mm -hmm. Leicester uh, scraping through on penalties? Uh, Fulfilling their contractual obligements for the next round by by having a penalty shootout after a drawn match. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, James Madison is rated 50-50 for this game after that knock on his ankle against Spurs. Chelsea, who beat Grimsby 7-1, as we mentioned earlier, in the League Cup midweek, are hosting Brighton. And it'll be interesting to see if any of the team that so thrilled their fans midweek get a look-in here against a Brighton team that's on a rotten run of results right now. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea have got... uh, 
hell of a lot of goals in, in his team. I mean, that's that's one of the things that uh, Lampard really seems to have just uh, unlocked. Um, I think even even the most kind of ardent Chelsea fan excited about these young players would would still look at it and think they wouldn't have expected this team to be as prolific as it has been, given that they lost their their best player, most creative player last season. And mm. and and, and um, so I think it's going to be. I think Brighton over the summer they kind of went back to. Um, signing sort of UK and Irish players, people, players that are proven in in um, Championship and Premier League, and also kind of look at the the guys that they signed over the last few windows, even under Hutton, who they didn't believe that Hutton's tactics got the most out of, and see if they can actually not maybe make a return, but see those guys come good. I think this will be a really complicated game. I, I think the the problem for Brighton is that they've had winnable games against the sides that they should be competing to survive against, right, and. They've been unlucky in them, you know, be it conceding late. Um, and I don't think they really look at these games. The Norwich win against Man City, for example, is a real killer for a team like Brighton. Right. Because um, they don't expect to get points against your Chelsea's, your City's, your, your United. Well, maybe United's, but yeah. Mm, fair. Ominous. Ominous for Graham Potter and company, who, of course, were beaten midweek in the League Cup by Aston Villa, who'll be taking on Burnley Saturday afternoon. Duncan. Yeah, this is a rare clash in the Premier League between two managers with single syllable first and second names. We've <laughs> <laughs> got Dean Smith, we've got Sean Deitch. Um, I had a quick look, quick, I said. But, um, ma- uh, managers with single syllable first and second names average 1.1 goals for a Premier League game and the average overall is 1.33. So they're a bit dourer than the average. Mick McCarthy. No, how? No, no that's both. It's got to be both names. Uh, both. 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 Yeah. Yeah. both. Steve okay. Bruce. Yeah. So that's the thing. How were you able to? How were you able to construct your field of 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 of, of, uh, of managers from which to extrapolate well, fortunately, data? There's not been that many managers. So who was it? There's Steve Bruce. Yeah. There's Sean Dyche. There's right. Dean Smith. Okay. There's many others as well. There was probably, who else? Um, oh, I knew I should have said. Hang on, I did can, can say. You think this is a good Michael? quiz. Can we have a moment to think? Yeah, all right. Well, I tell you what, while you're thinking about that, Palace are taking on Norwich. That's the other three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Palace have still got Jim lo- Smith. Jim Smith, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Um, Palace has still got loads. Sorry, Norwich has still got loads of injuries at the back. But will it matter against the Palace side with a front three of Benteke, Conor Wickham, and Jordan Ayew? I'm still thinking about okay. <laughs> Possibly I didn't not. save the list, but I can. I, yeah, it's fine. Trust me on this. Ed Howe. All right. uh, That question, I guess, about Norwich's bat line and Palace's somewhat toothless attack will be resolved over the course of 90 minutes at Selhurst Park on Saturday afternoon. And we'll we'll discuss it then on Monday. Right now, with plenty more to come in this show, including Dave Jones. Dave Jones, the big headlines from Europe and some very exciting questions from you and maybe one or two other things as well. Let's hear, first of all, from producer Ben. Thanks, Jimbo. Surprise, surprise, listeners. It's Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's talk about the biggest game this weekend, which isn't actually at the weekend. It's Monday night. It's Man U versus Arsenal. Give us some numbers for this one, please. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I checked the Paddy Power website for the odds here because I was all prepared to say tough one to call this game when in fact it appears not to be at all for our odds makers because they make Man United the 6-5 favourites although that is a price that's better than evens for a game at Old Trafford that wouldn't have been the case 6 or so years ago uh, these days it is Arsenal 2-1 to, to get the win the draws 5-2 to two. 
It's six wins out of six for the pace setters Liverpool. Can they make it seven out of seven against Sheffield United in the early kickoff on Saturday? Or do the Blades have a chance here? Interesting, this one. I think if you'd price this game up, hypothetically, of course, immediately after Sheffield United's promotion earlier this year, you would have given them a very, very long price to beat Liverpool. As it is, this weekend they've got, well, just a long price. They're 17-2 to two for the win. Liverpool odds on, of course, at 3-10. to 10, The draw is 4-1. to one. But those prices are indicative of the good start Sheffield United have made and that, shock horror, they are a good team. Who knew? Apart from the whole of the Football League. And finally, the battle at the bottom. Wolves versus Watford. One of them needs a W. Who's going to get it? Hmm. May I be the first and last to describe this game as a relegation six-pointer? Although I think Watford and Wolves fans, before you get angry at me, you're both going to be fine this season. In this game, which is, is quite a big one actually, Wolves are five to six, odds on to get the win. Watford, who for the first time all season are in our bottom three in terms of relegation betting, are 10 to three to get the win here. The draw is 12 to five. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It is over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Let's reach into our bulging sack of mail and pull out this from David. Not a question, but I enjoyed the mention of Marco Bogers on Monday. I work in the Netherlands, says David. I couldn't believe my luck when I was introduced to Marco as he now owns a logistic company in Dordrecht. Is that how I pronounce that? Dordrecht. Interesting, because the, the, the popular belief about Marco Bogers was that following his somewhat ill-fated Premier League career, he'd ended up in a caravan somewhere. I've heard that debunked a few times. Although if he's in... Maybe uh, he's got logistics. trailers. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, Car- caravan, shipping containers. Well, shipping containers, yeah. yeah. Who, nice. who was the manager you whispered to me? Uh, Joe Royal. No, that's, that's yeah, not... That is. That, you think that counts? Because I, I will walk, so I did, two syllables. Mm, not for me. John Lyle, that's two syllables. That's Lyle is two syllables. Royal. Royal. Royal, Royal is the that's same for no, me. Because it's not Royale, it's Royal. Was the Lyle. That's two. No, Lyle. Anyway... Well, that casts into doubt, Paul not Lintz. just that whole Lintz. statistic. <laughs> Paul Lintz, brilliant. But you, the entire basis for everything. By the way, there's more from David on the Michael Bugas story. He says he's come a long way from the Einhoven caravan. His son is actually a professional footballer too, but he's a free agent at the moment, so he's looking after the e-commerce department of the company. Can you imagine the works team they must have? Fantastic. Here's another question. Patrick Avenal says, if Arsenal has... He's talking about logos. Mm-hmm. He says, if Arsenal have the best logo... Do they? I think they're what? badges. I think they're called rather than I think they're badger. Cr- I think they're badges. Cr- crests or eye crests, as Juventus yeah. call them now. Right? Oh. Is Forest the second best? And if and what's the worst? I really like. So Patrick's saying he really likes the Arsenal's one, and what's the worst one? But I really like Juve's one. Yeah, it's great. I think it's great. Yeah, it's um, not a badge. It's an icon. It's an icon, right? <laughs> it takes the place of the badge. You know the. The, the the design on your sh- on your breast pocket or where mm. that would be. Uh, what's the worst sandwich? Clive controversially says Roma. What? But he's got that old one of Romulus and Remus suckling on a, a very strange looking she wolf. I mean, it is great if you're a part of the whole kind of in the milieu of Roman of Romanness. Uh-huh. But I, I mean, I think the the one that they get the the, bur- the one of the Palo Falcao. Uh, that era, that wolf there, oh, I love amazing. that. That's brilliant. But uh, it's not the, the worst. Look at the story behind Romulus and exactly. Rios. Exactly. I, I was there. Not that you know. I was <laughs> by the little, the little hut. statue. Yes. Oh, the hutch where mm. they were supposed to have mm. been shuck- suckled by the she wolf. Yeah. Up on the Palatine Hill. Yeah. 
Really? When was that? Don't that in August, end of August. Right. When I got stuck in Rome. Okay, a little, a little homage, a little uh, uh, pilgrimage. Very nice. Uh, speaking of Rome, you know who made his debut for the Jalarossi this midweek? Michael? Step forward, Chris Smalling. And he very nearly scored, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Smaldini, as they're calling him. Smaldini. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Wearing uh, Aldair's number six shirt. Yeah. He did all right, actually. I know they lost, but he, he did all right. And uh, I think you would love to watch this game, Michael, because mm-hmm. tactically it was very, very interesting. But yeah, he ended up playing kind of back four one stage, then back three. Mm. He looks all right, yeah. All right. Atlanta looked better as well. They ended up 2-0 winners in that game and have moved up to third place in City. It was a full midweek round in Italy. The big stories being, well, Inter making it five from five under Antonio Conte in the league, uh, beating Lazio 1-0, maintaining a two-point lead over Juventus, who we mentioned their game away at Brescia. They won that to 2-1 with Mario Balotelli. How would you rate his performance in that game for Brescia? Okay. Um, I think uh, he was doing Mario Balotelli things, uh, like shooting from distance. And uh, there was one free kick from like yeah. 40 yards or so, which... Uh, he had eight of their 16 shots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. He? But that it one, did he go off the crossbar or was it... Uh, I think it was tipped, tipped, tipped over, over by uh, Chesney, who yeah. uh, was at fault for the goal that uh, Juventus conceded. But uh, yeah, quite, a, quite an interesting partnership, him and the other Donnarumma, who uh, right. has played in... Um, third and second division all his career is 28 and he's got what, four and five games for them um, he's looked, looked quite good looked very dangerous here and Ramsey with uh, another start there for yep. Juventus nice to see and Napoli meanwhile of the kind of title contenders lost at home to Cagliari one other quick headline uh, from City A before we move on to France and especially Spain Fiorentina got their first win in eight months beating Sampdoria 2-1 yeah, and it looked again like they were going to throw it away because they were um, tuned up against Atalanta um, at, the, at the weekend. Remember, they were in the lead against uh, Napoli on the opening day as well. Mm. Uh, but Ripari, you know, once again, just <laughs> rolling back the years, looking absolutely fantastic. I think the strike partnership that he has with Federico Chiesa, two people at different uh, different ends of their careers, mm. looks, looks really exciting. But as you say, they they were on their worst. Uh, winless run since 1938. Um, so Montella, very kind of relieved man after after they made that win stick. League fixtures elsewhere in Europe, including Ligue 1, where Paris Saint-Germain got beaten at home 2-0 by Reims. And also, big surprise, Monaco got their first win, beating Nice 3-1. Uh, the uh, was it the second goal? The Golovan goal was wonderful. Did you, I'm not sure if you saw that. Uh, Fabregas launches the ball upfield. Slimani basically takes it down and just immediately puts it across for Golovan, who slams it in. And they look like a proper, a proper team there. Uh, very nice, a much needed victory there for Leonardo Jardim in Spain. Barcelona got a big win in the game against Villarreal, but they lost Messi again. Went off with a, a thigh problem now, isn't? It? Yeah. It's that thing where you come back from an injury and something else can uh, can go. He assisted Griezmann's goal. He's now gone level with Kieran Trippier for assists this season in the Liga, which is a big, big mark for him. And then uh, Artur scored a, a belter. And then, but basically, Barcelona just hung on. They had eight shots in the entire match, which is not wow. what you think of for them at home. Because so. Villarreal's comeback keyed by uh, that man Santi Cazorla. Yeah. What a goal from him. He's going to try a shot. Take that, Santi Cazorla, the genius, 
says to Artur Melo, anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah, he's kind of like the international Mike Marsh now, I think. Explain. Because basically, Mike Marsh was a really good player for Liverpool back in the 90s. Okay. Had to retire. Right. Um, and sort of got his payout because he retired as a professional footballer. Right. But then sort of recovered, but couldn't go back into the league because he had taken the retirement option. Right. So he basically played for a load of teams in the conference and was absolutely brilliant. Um, but that was his, you know, because all of his career was over and Arsenal sort of let him go because his yeah. career was over. And he's he's looking as good as ever now. He, it, it is a remarkable thing. And, and if you speak to Arsenal fans, there are a few players that they hold more more, more dear to their hearts. and. Not not just for what he could do on the field. I mean, Michael, would you, how would you? What's your your feeling about Santi Cazorla? Yeah, he was brilliant. He came as kind of a number ten or attacking midfielder and was shifted into a deeper position. And I think he got to another level there. He was just his close control and his ability to slalom past tackles and his ability to get stuck in as well for such a kind of creative player. Yeah, he was brilliant, and and he got a recall to the Spain side. I think. Uh, for the summer games uh, or the games just after last season. So, I mean, an incredible recovery. I just assumed that that was his career over and maybe looking at kind of health concerns that go beyond whether you can play football. But, I mean, he's, yeah, fantastic story. Brilliant. The table in La Liga uh, taking on a slightly more normal semblance with uh, Real Madrid now top two points clear of Atletico Madrid. Atletico Bilbao still in the top three a point behind Atletico, and you've got Granada fourth, and then Barcelona, who are four points off the lead, a level with Real Sociedad and Villarreal. Mm. Right. Oh, in Germany, quick mention there for uh, the Keeper Wars, mm-hmm. which we felt on Tuesday maybe weren't at quite the heights that we'd seen in the past in Germany. This is basically uh, Tischdegen and uh, uh, Manuel Neuer bickering over who deserves the, the gloves for Germany. Things got, got ramped up a little bit this week as Uli Hoeneß of Bayern has threatened the DFB to make Bayern players boycott the national team if Yugi Love makes Tesh Stegen the number one goalkeeper. <laughs> he says, before that happens, we'll no longer provide players for the national team. It's an extraordinary yeah. position to take. Bayern's team are all France, France internationals anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, fair. fair. Well, it's been a busy midweek. But many thanks to Michael James and Duncan for rounding it up so elegantly and, of course, Nick Miller uh, before. We will return on Monday. Michael, you'll be with us. And Daniel's story, illness permitting, will be into alongside Carl Anker. So hopefully, listener, you'll join us for that too. For now, from all of us here, enjoy your weekend and goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.